Hello, welcome to Rusty Sonnets, the podcast where I take an old poem, read it out, give it a good going over before I go off on one. My name is Niall and today we will be looking at Slow Slow Fresh Fount by Ben Johnson. So I spoke about Ben Johnson last week because I, I mentioned him as an admirer of Mary Roth, the poet that we looked at last week. And I think it's important to mention that because I and other people have been, let's say, critical of Mary Roth's place in the canon in a sense that I don't think her poetry works as well for my tastes and the tastes of others as some of the other poets that we've looked at. But at the same time, I think it's really important to point out that she was very much admired in her time. And one of the poets that admired her is Ben Jonson. And as we look, I mean, I was talking about how I, I felt that there was a lack of that kind of music in Amy Roth's sonnets, at least. Whereas I think Ben Jonson, when we read his poem today, we will see how, how musical and how much of a fantastic ear he had, even by today's standards. And I say even by today's standards, because as I've said many times in this podcast, that there really are just tastes and certain definitions of poetry, and, and these may overlap, but none of them are definitive. I don't believe that there is a definitive idea of what quality is in poetry. There are just a multiplicity of critical approaches and we can take different critical approaches and find ways of approaching a poem and find things to enjoy in a poem from different varying critical approaches and that's it um so so um, by the way this isn't my big idea this this comes from um a a um a sort of post-structuralist um or a structuralist literary critic called todorov um that and others as well so, so that's my, so that's always my idea, but I'm always coming at this from a viewpoint, which is there is no objective quality in poetry or in art for that matter. There are just many different approaches and we can wean lots of different things from different approaches. Now you could say that different approaches yield more, let's say different ideas of what makes a good poem yield more from us. So we can make that argument why some approaches might be better. And that in itself lends us towards an idea of objectivity, but, um, but I just don't, ultimately, there is no objectivity, I think, in, in art or poetry. There is no idea of objective quality. There's just different viewpoints. Wow, I kind of went off on one already, didn't I? So so I get back to the point, which is, hey, an amazing poet such as Ben Johnson fought a lot of the poetry of Mary Roth. So maybe it's just, maybe maybe it's more that Ben Johnson's poetry has just travelled better across time to our contemporary ears than Lady Mary Roth's poetry has. Um, and I think that's a really important point to make. You know, that actually it's it's slightly nonsensical for a man alive in the 21st century to look back on a on a um, 17th century Renaissance, late Renaissance poet and say, well, according to my sensibilities, this doesn't work as well as this other poet from this time. But that's enough about uh, Mary Roth. Please go back and listen to the podcast and make up your own mind or just read her work and make up your own mind. For now, we're sticking around the same era. We're hanging around the Renaissance. We're mooching about the Renaissance. We're sort of by the Renaissance canapé table seeing when, when some new duck liver pate pastry things are going to be brought out and we're just going to just hang around so we've said hello to Shakespeare we've said hello to John Donne we've said hello to Milton who's sort of a poet that straddles the late renaissance and the Augustan 
era and the restoration. So so we're back in the Renaissance and we're looking at Ben Johnson. I always have this cliche. I think it's a cliche in this podcast where I talk about what an amazing life this person had. What an interesting life. Maybe all poets, all dead poets have had more interesting lives than people alive today because we're all just on our phones and slaves to technology and we've all just become really boring in our narcissism. Hmm, narcissism, you say. What does that mean? Well, that comes from a legend about a guy called Narcissus. And it just so happens um, that the legend of Narcissus plays into our, our poem of the day. But I'll, I'll, I'm going to do the old biographical information about Ben Johnson first and then we'll go a little bit into the legend of Narcissus and Echo as written about by Ovid in his Metamorphosis then we'll read the poem and then actually when, before I go off on one I really just want to look at the form of this poem this is quite an exa a famous example of a poem where the theme of the poem and the content of the poem what the poem is about really overlaps and really complements the style of the poem, the form of the poem, how it's written and how the things are said in the poem. It's one I use in my teaching all the time. So so this is um so so back to Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson, Renaissance man. Again, a very talented man. He he sort of he started he, again, Philip Sidney was who I spoke about last week, who was the uncle of Mary Roth very much sort of instigated literary criticism by writing his defense of poetry now ben johnson was definitely he carried that a little bit further and is very and, and again is seen as one of the first proper critics of literature and also apart from ben johnson um um he he himself was very um he got this a lot of this his ideas his philosophical ideas in in his poetry and he was a playwright as well and he wrote many masks as well which is a sort of play that's performed in court so he but he was quite philosophical in his writings and and he again he analyzed literature in his writings as well he he got, he got a lot of this from Horace the the uh the latin poet Horace and Horace, of course, was very popular with the Augustan poets such as Alexander Pope. So Johnson was admired by Pope and many of the poets that followed him. But he was slightly damned with faint praise at the same time. So many generations, they, they, they paid respect to Ben Johnson, but they didn't really love him as much as they loved Shakespeare. Shakespeare had a much more constant influence and might much like many other poets although ben johnson never entirely fell out of favor he was just seen as the sort of the, the b plus player <laughs> to, to shakespeare um actually i know uh, hopefully this won't get me some flack i think ben johnson is also one of the one of the poets like and, and playwrights like Marlowe, who are often associated with the shakespeare authorship questions so for people for people who believe that shakespeare was just a wealthy merchant who didn't write any of his plays or, or um, and so he got lots of um, other people to write plays for him, um, and so some people think it's sort of I don't know why, I don't know I can't remember what the motive is. I don't want to go into it too much, but one thing I've always been skeptical about is about commissions, and uh, and it, to, to a lot of people Shakespeare's plays at least were the finest plays of his generation, a generation that includes. Marlowe and includes Ben Jonson and Ben Jonson's plays certainly aren't part of the, the let's say the cultural conversation and the collective consciousness of the literary world as Shakespeare's plays are which begs the question I mean when you look at a commission in real life most people's worst works are their commissions 
So it would be a rare instance of someone, someone's best work, someone's most successful works actually being a commission. I think that's my number one point of scepticism with the authorship deal. Although recently, um, there were the Marlowe, Marlowe was named as a co-author of one of Shakespeare's plays, wasn't he? One of his historical dramas by, I think, Oxford, one of the Oxford editions has, has now credited Marlowe as one of the authors. So it could be more that there was a sense that the idea of the author as this one individual, this sort of single human being, maybe that wasn't as cast in stone back in the day and there was a bit more assistance in writing of plays. I mean, we know that, that Johnson was a good friend of Shakespeare and I think he was a good friend of Marlowe as well. I don't know if he was a good friend of Marlowe, actually, but he was good friends of John Donne and the philosopher Francis Bacon. So he, 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 was, he was a man of many talents. He, he grew up from in a poor background. His biological father was a minister or his birth father was a minister um, and his stepfather was a bricklayer. So he had quite a modest upbringing, but he went to the Westminster School, so he had some very good schooling. Um, and one teacher particularly took him under his wing and had a big influence on him. I forget that teacher's name. I'm sorry. I'm sure it's out there on Wikipedia or something like that. And he even worked as a bricklayer for a little while before he became the resident playwright and one of the actors for a theatre. And this is how he first knew Shakespeare, because Shakespeare was one of the actors acting in his plays. And he carried on as a poet and playwright all his life, falling in and out of favour with the courts, with the king and with the powers that be. And this is quite funny. So when, when he started off, he was writing as part of the Elizabethan um, epoch, I guess, under the reign of Elizabeth. And then James I, who he seemed to, as far as I can tell, fall in and out of favour with, sometimes through writing satirical plays. Um, or writing plays sometimes I think that he's he went to jail a couple of times one time for writing just a, a, a let's just say a, a, a play that satirized the people in charge and then there was another play where he specifically made a joke about the king and he went to jail for those he also um, went to jail you know like when you get twitter spats and little I don't know little feuds between actors and rappers and stuff like that um, but mainly just like really catty Twitter posts and Instagram posts or whatever. Um, he killed an actor in a feud, in a feud. Um, no, it's not a feud. Feud is completely different. A duel. He killed an actor called Gabriel Spencer in a duel. And he was going to go to the gallows for this, but he was able to get out of being hung by something called benefit of clergy. And benefit of clergy was basically to show off how educated you were or, or how high minded you were, um, in particular by showing that you can read and write Latin. And so he proved because of that Westminster schooling weren't for nothing. He proved that he could read and write in Latin and then he got a prison sentence instead in Newgate Prison at where he converted to Catholicism. So he was very popular sometimes and sometimes his plays were, were greatly successful, but he did fall in and out of favour throughout his life um, because he seemed to be a man who couldn't stay away from trouble by the look of things at the end of his life so during the reign of Charles I so he, he saw the reigns of three monarchs in his lifetime at the end of his life during the reign of Charles I he um he he he, he well this is not funny at all I don't know why I'm laughing I guess I'm still laughing about duels and stuff like that but he had a, a series of strokes 
and so he was very ill and he was bedbound. But he carried on writing and he wrote about f four plays. None of them were a success. But he carried on, and at the late last part of his life, he got a pension from Charles I as well for like the last four years of his life before he died. But one thing that is the constant, if we're going to take some early inspiration from the life of Ben Jonson, one thing that is definitely a constant is he kept writing. You know, so we all like to have a moan about our career and how our lives are going, but we we should take a we we as artists, if you are a poet or an artist listening who who is having great fortune or a, a, a dry spell of fortune, or even misfortune. It's quite inspiring just to see how productive Ben Johnson was throughout his life. He always had to write something. And being that he wrote things that got him imprisoned, he obviously had to just get stuff out of him and he didn't care. So um, next time we worry about trial by social media, or how our careers... Um, because careers seem to fall in and out of favour now, don't they? The sort of the, instead of the sort of the the, the monarchic court um, or the aristocratic court, we sort of have a court of public opinion in full swing these days. So if just so look to Ben Johnson and take inspiration from him. If you do end up falling in and out of favour, either by sticking to your beliefs, whatever your beliefs may be, or just saying something absolutely stupid which is more of a case let's just say um for trial by social media it's the ability of 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 everyone to say something absolutely cretinous and the um ability of everyone else to maybe show some understanding and allow people to make up make amends after they've they've slipped up or to completely crucify them and try and destroy them with the internet I, I'm veering off on one. I, I've got such a good go off on one lined up. I know I'm overhyping it already, but I reckon I'm going to really enjoy going off on one after this poem. We're going to get to the poem now. So this is from um, a play. This poem, Slow, Slow, Fresh Fount, is actually from one of his, I guess, his earlier plays. He was in his 20s when he wrote this play. Um, the play was called Cynthia's Revels or The Fountain of Self-Love. And while it didn't directly, it wasn't directly about the legend of Narcissus and Echo, it still referenced them. And so this poem was actually seen as a song by Echo, sort of the, the, the lamenting song of Echo in the background. So let me fill you in a little bit about what this legend was and then we can we can get straight into the poem. So you probably know this already. Narcissus is an ancient Greek legend that was updated by the by the Roman poet um, Ovid in his Metamorphoses. And in this legend, he's born a beautiful boy, absolutely beautiful boy. And his parents uh, become very weary that they become very afraid for him because he is so beautiful. And hey, let's 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 say yeah, beauty can be a curse and fortune can fall upon um or, or misfall i don't know what i don't know but, but you know the fortune can be pretty nasty to people by merit of, of their perceived beauty and so he he they were very worried about him and they were told he, he will live to old age if he does not know himself or something to that effect so i don't know how these parents kind of keep him from knowing himself it's almost like the reverse of the legend of the buddha isn't it where the buddha is sort of kept away from pain and poverty in the palace and then he sees it and he has to change his life this is slightly different the parents are almost trying to keep him away from vanity and um from from self-love and well not narcissism obviously because it hadn't been named yet being that it was named after him so just being a bit bit i don't know conceited 
So all goes well, <laughs> all goes well for a while until somehow he ends up traipsing through the woods and a nymph in the woods called Echo, another person who's named after the thing that, that defines them in this legend, Echo follows him round. She falls in love with him and she keeps on copying everything that he says. So as he talks, she copies him. And we all know since we were like three years old, I'm, I'm seeing it with my own kids right now, how annoying it is when someone keeps on copying you. How annoying it is when someone keeps on copying you. Yeah, I know. I told you it's annoying. You see, I told you it's annoying. I didn't say that exactly. You didn't do my exact words. I didn't say that. You didn't say that exactly. That's not my exact word. You see, you didn't even... Anyway, so you get the idea. It's annoying. So even though she loved him, got on his nerves, kept on copying him. So he looked round at her and he said, Oi, sling your rook, get out of it. She was in love with him. You know, very fickle love, obviously, wood nymph love. Very, very fickle wood nymphs. I, I don't know if she'd have got fed up with him after a few weeks either. But, um, well, she wasn't that fickle because it absolutely broke her heart. And off she went in heartbreak, still singing with her voice, still lamenting of her love for him. But she dwindled away and just became a disembodied voice i can't remember if she dies after she becomes a disembodied voice or if she dies and then her voice carries on without her but she gets almost like separated from her voice or she just becomes nothing but her voice and that's why she's called echo now this was this was spotted by the god of um revenge bad guy who, who's called handily called nemesis and uh, nemesis says right mate you're in trouble now you don't you didn't want to get my attention but you got my attention and nemesis causes narcissus to look at his reflection in the water in a pool or something like that or in the river he sees his reflection and he f sees the most beautiful being alive which according to the legend he is and he falls in love with himself Actually, it doesn't sound that ridiculous, like the most beautiful, because in a way, the narcissism that most people exhibit is because they're very used to their own appearance and very used to their own reflection. But this is something quite different, isn't it? He's never seen his reflection before. He doesn't know who he is. And so he sees his reflection and falls in love, falls in love with this fair youth. And after a while, he um he realizes that he can't have this love in the same way that, that Echo this person that he didn't want to love was copying him. This reflection is copying him because it is him and he can never pass through the water to, 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 to requite the love of himself or to pass through the reflection. So he becomes very, very depressed on realizing that the great love of his life is unattainable and he kills himself. And then they go, thank you for coming. Have a good day, everyone. That was the legend of Narcissus. So cheerful Greek legend and with an even more cheerful Roman updating to have someone else also sort of die a miserable, depressed death. Um, but that's just, that's the story. So I think you're ready for this. So this was um, written by Ben Johnson in, a, in his play. And this was used as the song, the sort of echoing song of echo so um i'll do it now i'll read out the poem slow slow fresh fount by ben johnson slow slow fresh fount keep time with my salt tears yet slower yet o oh, faintly gentle springs list to the heavy part the music bears 
Woe weeps out her division when she sings. Droop herbs and flowers, fall grief in showers. Our beauties are not ours. Oh, I could still, like melting snow upon some craggy hill, drop, 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 since nature's pride is now a withered daffodil. So that's that's the story of of narcissus in a way isn't it told told through uh, uh the, the disembodied voice of echo appearing in a play by ben johnson but this is a poem straight away that we can we can i want to just address the musicality of it in a second but if we just look at the sense of the poem um we can appreciate it again it, it, of course it's not we don't need to we could need we could know nothing about classical mythology or any of the references or what it came from. We could know nothing about the play in which the poem came from. And most people that know this poem don't. I surely, I haven't read the play. I just read a summary on it. But I know the poem. And so um, so sometimes the poem is called Echo's Song as well. But the sense of the poem is, is simply that. I mean, the, the, the he addresses a fountain in the first line. Slow, slow, fresh fount. Keep time with my salt tears. So there's a slowness of tears tracking down someone's face and of course the, the the velocity of a fountain a fresh fountain um and it's meant to be actually in the legend that narcissus was um drinking from a fountain when he caught his reflection that's kind of how it happened so but it's the slowness of the grief isn't it the slowness of the grief of the person experiencing grief and or heartache or rejection and and but but it's being contrasted with the speed of nature with the velocity of nature with the force of life this person wants the speaker wants the forces of life to slow down to slow down to their tempo they, they want the world to slow down with them so um some really interesting lines here so the, the lines about music list to the heavy part the music bears woe weeps out her division when she sings it's a really interesting idea that i can't quite get to the bottom of myself i don't know if it's more contingent perhaps with things that are happening in the play or um whether it's a statement about music so so list of the heavy part the music bears i don't know what the heavy part for the music bears is maybe the heavy part is just the emotion so the music, the heavy part of the music that the, the, the music bears, maybe the heaviness of grief, music bears the burden of grief. There's something about music that carries our emotions and expresses emotion, I think, in a more direct and seemingly pure way than any other art form, including poetry. And the reason why poetry is so good at expressing emotion is because of its musicality. So... um droop herbs and flowers fall grief in showers our beauties are not ours so it's a really interesting sort of way in which the lines have got shorter for a start around about this point before that there's basically an approximate iambic pentameter 10 syllable lines but the, the stresses change the emphasis emphasis a little bit um so we have these much more ponderous but shorter lines 
and then finally, like melting snow upon some craggy hill, drop, 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 since nature's pride is now a withered daffodil. This could be, um, it probably is, um, another reference to Narcissus being the most beautiful person in the world. I'm sure he would have been nature's pride, but now he's dead. He's a wilted daffodil. I think there's other, um, other versions of a legend where he transforms. Does he turn to stone or something? There's a Salvador Dali painting, if I remember it right, which I think has some kind of a stone holding a flower or something like that. This is me remember, <laughs> trying to recall a painting I last probably looked at in a book about five years ago. So um, I think, wasn't he a cracked egg with a flower coming out of it? Is that right? His head was like a cracked egg with a flower coming out of it. Probably has nothing to do with Ben Johnson. So back to Ben Johnson. So, so the grief is 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 for this sort of beauty, this this ultimate specimen of nature being past, being dead, being no more, and almost wanting all of uh, Echo's grief at this. See, although again, I've just told the legend that Echo killed herself, and then that the, he seemed to die afterwards. So I could be getting very mixed up here. Let's just keep it to the poem, shall we? So the speaker, whoever may, they may be, is is grieving the loss of something beautiful. Um, our beauties are not ours and and they want this world to slow down to their to their to their grief although at the same time they say fall it contradicts that slightly with the lines um uh full grief in showers you know droop herbs and flowers almost asking nature to speed up asking winter to speed up but then again the the drooping of flowers at least is a slow process that probably matches the grief of his speaker rather than the fountain Although grief falling in showers, again, I don't know. This poem is sort of echoed, isn't it, by Stop All the Clocks by Auden, another famous poem about heartache, um, about, one, you know, obviously just making everything stop, stop all the clocks. Um, so so this has a similar idea about the, the speaker wanting to affect time, wanting to control time. Now, um, a few things I'm going to look at in the poem is actually how the use of meter and how the use of um just just how the use of language and meter and how certain words that just don't trip off each other are used in this poem which i think creates more music within that poem so or at least makes the music of the poem reflect the subject matter so last week i spoke about how mary roth there's there's the, the the monosyllabics of her poetry I felt took away the music, but here I am reading another poet actually who who has an entirely monosyllabic first line. Now, again, I spoke about how um, how Elizabeth Barrett Browning used the sort of monosyllabic line of iambic pentameter to create this sort of jabbing in the stomach aspect of or jabbing in the chest finger prodding insistence within the poem and i think that was very deliberate so i think she used that for a very deliberate effect and i think it's used for a very deliberate effect in this poem as well so when he says slow slow fresh fount keep time with my salt tears now most commentaries on this poem i'm sure you might if if you're aware of a poem you might be aware of them or if you've read the poem out yourself it, you you have to slow down while reading this poem and the use of meter and the use of stresses and the use of of, of alliteration, um, words that start with the same letter, 
and just the way that the, the the sentences or the lines are constructed everything seems to work together in quite an exquisite um technical sense i think there's a real mastery going on behind this poem and i think this is why we revere ben johnson um but slow slow so alliterative straight away and rep repetition as well slow slow you have to slow down when you're reading it fresh fount similar thing keep time with my salt tears now keep time and salt tears aren't alliterative so they don't begin with the same letter but there's something about the sort of hard consonants at the beginning and the end of the word so keep and then time t -p -t. we i do a um exercise with my students on um just on articulation because people can swallow their words when they read out a poem and so one of them is put a cutter 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 pt uh kt and because they're words that that can slow you down and you can't really trip up on them so these are used to great effect here so keep time with my salt tears you could say salt tears but then you know now now you see you have to leave that gap between salt and tears otherwise you make the listener think you're talking about ears made of salt you know keep time with my salt tears salt tears so yeah it's got to be salt tears you just have to slow it down for it to make sense yet slower yet oh faintly gentle springs list to the heavy part the music bears so also, for the next few lines, um, we, we, we also begin with stressed syllables. So unlike normal iambic pentameter, um, which is an unstressed syllable by a stressed syllable repeated five times, di-da, 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 rather than that little unstressed D, we have a stressed syllable, list, and then woe weeps. So we, we either have a, we either have a um, trocky, which is a... a but the lines either start with a trochee, which is stress syllable followed by an unstressed syllable, or um, we have a um, either two. It depends what you have here. So it's either I think it's a spondee, which is two two stress syllables. Spondee, um, I think <laughs> I might have got all mixed up with my stressed and unstresses now. So yeah, woe weeps. That's two stressed syllables. Um, droop herbs as well. So, so again, the, the, I think the two stressed syllables and the alliteration, it all works to slow down the poem, to slow down the speaker. There are other poems that have been written in the opposite way. You have to almost speed up because it's got such an irresistible tempo. But everything about this poem is slowing the person down. So it's following the command of what's being said in the poems. And this is perhaps reaches, it, re reaches its, its fulcrum in the, you know, like, like melting snow upon some craggy hill nice line of iambics not really slowing anything down there but then just four stressed syllables in a row drop 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 you see it's like um just slows it right down doesn't it just the repetition but the words drop as well um these nice hard sort of consonants at, at the at the beginning and end of each word you have to separate the words when you pronounce them also the, the way that, that he uses commas to separate these as well so drop comma drop comma drop comma everything sp spaces it all out so that you really get that sense of the melting snow drop 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 
And finally, um, another thing I want to look at. So, yes, also, again, the meter's all over the place in this poem, but in a very deliberate way, very short lines, but it actually ends on an, what we call an Alexandrine. That's a sort of um, a six-stress line or a 12-syllable line, since nature's pride is now a withered daffodil. Um, it's just a nice way of topping off the poem, I reckon. I, I don't necessarily think it has a particular effect as to the speeding up or slowing down of the poem. Um, one line which is a bit more of a hot take on this poem is I like the um, because so when you say droop what's droop herbs and flowers fall grief in showers so both beginning with a stress syllable but the next line lots of people love this line and I love this line as well our beauties are not ours so it's a powerful line anyway it's such a stark truth isn't it that just sort of follows these I, uh, there's a great there's a in, in there's a cliche in workshops where people say show don't tell and it never really applies to poetry poetry i think works well with a mixture of showy language and then declarative language so yes he shows twice by saying fall grief in showers or droop herbs and flowers fall grief in showers but then he tells our beauties are not ours and it works because of that you know they work together the imagery and the declarative statement come together Although you can imagine some contemporary workshop, they would have been like, I like these first two images, but I just find that you're really telling rather than showing in the next line. Um, yeah, if you're ever in a sort of creative writing workshop and the teacher's overdoing it with the show, don't tell, they, especially if it's poetry, it means they really don't read a lot of poetry and they're just repeating workshop cliches and you should just leave and join a library or something and find a better poetry workshop. That's what I reckon. Um so yeah but i okay back to this line why i think our beauties are not are not ours now i don't know what it's like in ben johnson's time so this could be uh, this is why it's a hot take because it could be a contemporary reading of archaic language which is we could just as much pronounce it as our beauties are not ours you know there's our we are i know there's we are and then um our lord or our 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 it could just be the dialect of someone who's grown up in Slough. So before I, I, I go off on one, I just want to point that out. But it's, it's, it's ours. Our beauties are not ours. And again, I wonder if there's a sort of pun about time going on there. You know, our beauties are not ours, but or our beauties are not ours. That's in the measure of time. Maybe I'm just getting a little bit hot takey here, but the whole poem is about mutability, I guess, about, about how things pass with time. Of course, this is the opposite almost because, well, it's not, no, no, they want to slow, slow down time with their grief. Um, so our beauties are not ours. Does that, I don't know. I don't know. I could be completely pulling that out of my fundament as usual. And it could be me wandering off on one a little bit earlier. But I do think that idea that that pun on ours could have some quite good, some interesting meaning, I guess. Our beauties are not ours. Because if that has any emphasis, that our beauties are not ours then um, I guess it depends on how you experience hours to be. Do you expect a, do you experience an hour as a short time or a long time? Do you know what I mean? So um, as opposed to minutes and seconds, yes, it's a long time as opposed to days, months and years. It's quite a short time. I'm going to leave it there. We're going to look at Ben Johnson again in the future. But for now, I, I'm trying to keep all these things short, shorter and, and not have a repeat of my hour and eight minute epic about... Um, 
I think that was my Alexander Pope one. So, hey, it's time for me. It's an acronym, by the way, to wander off on one. Thank you, Ric Flair. And if you're a first time listener to this podcast, this means that this is the point where I, 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 I have definitely abandoned, even though I slightly abandoned my academic rigor <laughs> as if it ever got established at any point. But but now I'm definitely wandering off on one and letting my mind and brain and mouth wander into other avenues that aren't necessarily to do with a rigorous, rigorous academic reading of this poem. And I think the thing I'd like to wander off on one is about that idea of time and how we can control time and how time shifts and changes in how we experience it i mean we know this anyway time is sort of changeable time is stretchy time in a in an in a subjective and phenomenological sense you see i could hardly say that word so now i've got to describe it to you phenomenological this is a sort of philosophy um normally attributed to a philosopher called Husserl, who um just spoke about how we actually experience things. So phenomenology is like the phenomenal aspect of consciousness. Not phenomenal as in, hey, that was phenomenal. I don't know why I did that in that accent. But anyway, you get it. But Or someone judge from X Factor saying that was phenomenal. But phenomenal as in it's an actual experience. It's a phenomena. Kant, uh, 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 a philosophical Kant, who I'm just going to sum up really quickly in about 10 seconds, divided sort of our way of experiencing the world into two categories, noumena and phenomena. Noumena was everything that as it exists in itself. So things in themselves. So I always use the table as this example. But So the table as a thing in itself what a table is when it's in a room with no one looking at it let's say and then phenomena is something as it appears to us so everything that as it appears to us is phenomena but everything as it is in itself is noumena now these are being problematic categories for a lot of people a lot a lot of philosophers but that's just what we're working with now so time in a phenomenal sense is always shift, shifting and changing but in a scientific sense in a physics sense as well when we look at einstein and relativity we also know that that time can change as well in relation to velocity of all things so if i if i um fly off in a super duper space rocket away from earth and then sort of go around in a circle and i'm traveling at the speed of light all the time so i launch from earth hit the speed of light go a bit that way and sort of curve around on myself head back to earth much more time would have passed on earth than would have passed inside my rocket while it was traveling at the speed of light so when i get back to earth even though i might have been traveling for a few years many 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 more years on earth would have gone by so i would effectively arrive in the future so this has been proven by science um, but but also phenomenologically we know this time speeds up i remember one like for, you know when we're having fun time speeds up when we're not having fun time slows down we know this ultimately perhaps the most famous example being sometimes um when you when you look at a clock which is a ticking clock and the the, the second hand that if it's got a clicky little second hand you look away for a second you look back and it looks like the second hand has stopped completely and then it moves but it seems like for ages it has stopped. That's an example of our experience of time. When we have an, an accident, it feels like time has slowed down. That's another example of it. So um, that's what happens with our experience of time. Also, as we get older, time goes quicker, which is another weird thing. So um, 
lots of people have observed this um and so there's different theories as to why as we get older time seems to go quicker some people say simply because a year as a fraction of the life that you lived gets sort of smaller so you know if you're two a year is half your life it's going to feel like forever so but if you're if you're 80 <laughs> then a year is 180th of your life so there's that the sort of in comparison to the life that you have lived other people say that actually it's not so much that it's more that um as you get older things become less new and you don't experience as many things with the same excitement um and especially if you're doing the same thing every day time tends to go quicker in how we experience it so um how do we how but the interesting thing is because time is subjective we can control it i know that sounds weird but we can we can't control time um but we can we can unless we have a rocket traveling at the speed of light it's not really controlling time but we can kind of take advantage of the small print of time <laughs> as physics might but we can we can make time because our experiences can subjectively slow down or speed up our experience of time there are things that we can do if we want to speed up or slow down time so if you want to slow down time stop looking at your damn phone so much um is one example i think um become less busy to slow down time as well don't have too many tasks to do and if you're walking about somewhere try and take as much much notice of as many different things as you can i have a favorite tree that i notice in autumn because of the leaves going bright red and on my particular same route that i take every day um, but there's also stuff like that in spring so there's a magnolia a couple of magnolia trees i know where they are and so i can beautifully watch that change and that can kind of slow things down for me when my journey is rather than me looking at my phone or whatever I'm walking around and I know there's certain different things I can take notice of. And that seems to open up time during my journey. And I think that's the same thing in life. We can kind of slow down our time. So if, if our life is racing ahead and we feel like we're losing all of it, then yes, um, spend less time on a screen and um, yeah, and, and pay more attention to things that you don't normally pay attention to. So when you do the washing up, don't sort of stick the telly on or a video. Really be mindful of when you're washing up. If you want to speed up time, then um, uh, don't look at a watch, I think is one thing, because it's meant to slow down time, the experience of it. And I think being mindful can also speed up time as well. Um, and also to use things such as waiting in a queue. So if you're bored, use uh, waiting in a queue as an exercise in patience. Treat it almost like the waiting is the task itself. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that can actually make it more endurable and speed it up as well. I'm, I, the funny thing is, is right now I have to run out the house and uh, do the school run. So that's why I'm racing ahead right now and why my language is so... I've been so fast in how I've spoken compared to this wonderful slowed down poem that I've just read. Um... What's I can say? Poetry. Yeah. One more thing. If you want to slow down your life, if you want to slow down moments in your life, read poetry, read some poetry. Even Hey, if you read it from a screen, I'll forgive you too. But read poetry because I think poetry, one, even if it's poetry, that you don't have to read loads. So listen to some of my previous poetry podcasts where I've spoken about how poem, a poem can be like a painter's mountain or a climber's mountain. But even if it's poetry that you don't have to really carefully read or slowly read, it can make you appreciate little things normally in your life. And that can slow down your time if you need it slowed down. But also reading a poem, especially a poem, which is what I would call a climber's mountain poem, that in itself, just taking a poem apart, doing different 
reading it slowly, carefully, that can slow down your time as well. And it can encourage you, it can encourage you to have a slow down time mindset. If you're really young, you're thinking, why do I need to slow down time? Trust me, sunshine, when you get to the age of old grandpops O'Sullivan here, you will you will understand why you have to slow down your time. Um, that's it. Hey, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Saturday mornings, I tend to upload these around sort of 10 o'clock Saturday mornings if you really want to jump on the damn thing as soon as it's out. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone who shares this podcast and leaves little nice reviews on iTunes or wherever. I really appreciate it. And thank you to anyone who whispers whispers tender words about the greatness of his podcasts into the ears of the people they love and sometimes to their enemies before stabbing them so i don't know why i said that it's because i was talking about jewels wasn't i so that's the end of it that's the end of it if you want to share it if you want to do the podcast a favor and help it grow through any of the methods i've just thanked people for then you can do that and i'll be really grateful but other than that have a great week um and uh yeah and hopefully the week will go as slowly or as quickly as you want it to now that i have given you the power to control time thanks a lot have a good one bye bye